Hi, I'm Jennifer Zollett. And I'm Larkin Bell. Welcome to our podcast, A Female Lens. Yet again with another whiffin. Here we go. Let's do it. We're grateful for all of you. Hope you all had a wonderful holiday. And uh, now we're we're thinking about what's happening this week. And we heard about an interesting thing with Marielle Heller, who directed mm-hmm. A Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood, um, and kind of the way she went about shooting it and the schedule. Mm-hmm. Uh, we listened to an episode of Fresh Air uh, with Terry Gross, and Terry was asking Marielle how she went about shooting it. And Marielle talked about how she used something called French hours, Mm -hmm. in quotes, because it's not actually what the French do, but that's what it's called. (laughs) And basically it's a 10-hour day without lunch, working straight through. Um, And Marielle did this because a lot of the cast and crew, as well as herself, have children, young children under five, and other children of other ages. <laughs> don't want to leave those out. Yeah. Um, and basically, she was like, hey, we're making a movie about Fred Rogers. I don't think he would want us to um, abandon our kids during this process. So right. we found this really interesting. Yeah. And basically, with French Hours, it gives um, the filmmakers the opportunity if they start at 7 a.m., then they can end at maybe 6 p.m. or 5 p.m. and still come home early. Um, and... It, there's no lunch break is basically yeah. how they do it. Yeah, and she brought up that even during lunch, like a normal lunch on a standard, mm-hmm. we'll say, quote-unquote quote standard right. um, shoot day, she would be working through lunch with her DP or script supervisor. So she's like, we're not even really taking a lunch anyway. Right, mm-hmm. and there's like such a loss of momentum and energy, mm-hmm. especially I think from actors, like for myself. Mm-hmm. I feel that you take an hour-long lunch if you were in the middle of a scene, now you're eating all this food. It's really hard to come back after lunch and totally. find that same energy there's just this like kind of slow down in the day I feel like around lunch yeah um so it seemed like it was almost this unanimous like it worked for everybody yeah regardless of having children or not having yeah, children it, that's I thought right. that was really interesting that the initial motivation was like being able to see your kids while they're awake but then the actors and the crew and everyone else was like yeah we're gonna get enough food, right? Yeah. She mentioned like there's always food on yeah, set. Yeah, I did love that. Yeah, Everyone's people, well fed. Yeah, people are gonna be snacking throughout the day, so that's not a problem. It's mm-hmm. not like a, you know, the unions are gonna have a problem with, right. you know, not getting enough food, yeah. <laughs> right? Abuse of yeah um, employees, but uh, it yeah, so it's like everybody wins. And I don't think they did it every day. I think right. it was like they did it some days. Also, one thing she didn't talk about is that. You mentioned the unions. It actually is against union rules to Mm. do French hours. So in order to do French hours, um, you have to pay meal penalties. Mm -hmm. So there is a cost to it just because of the unions. And I think a meal penalty, it's like after six hours of shooting, you are required to take a lunch of an hour. And that's why it's so standard for everybody to not, you know, do French hours because um, you have to take lunch. And I think it's, like, after that six-hour mark, if you don't take lunch, every, like, 30 minutes after that, there's a meal penalty. Yeah. Curious. Meal penalty is, like, $25 a person. Mm. Mm. I wonder how that works with, like, and just in 
looking at the overtime that people might because yeah. I feel like another thing she referenced in the interview is like you know we're hearing about these crew members going home after a 16 18 20 hour day mm-hmm. which is ridiculous yeah in itself um but just wondering about the cost aspect of that as well and how that all plays into right. it interesting yeah yeah well and it's like yeah it's all about the cost like what is the cost of you know versus mealtime versus shooting a longer day right. and like how how far are people like trying to stretch human beings to make these films like it mm. is actually insane how much uh people are expected to work mm-hmm. and it's just it's just standard it's just um what is expected well and then again like there's the fear that if you don't work then like will there be another job kind mm-hmm. of thing yeah. and that kind of links into what she was talking about in the beginning where um when Terry first asked the question she was like you know Marielle said that after, you know, during the year, she'd been asked a lot like, hey, how can we have more female directors, et cetera, et cetera. And she was like, I feel like for any change to really occur, I'm paraphrasing here, um, we have to acknowledge that a lot of these women are moms. And to make this a sustainable job, um, we have to acknowledge that and then figure out how to work around that or work with that, essentially. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think that's kind of a fear of perhaps a lot of female directors of how can I create and how can I keep this life going and also see my child and care for Mm -hmm. them too um yeah yeah and how do you um create a schedule Mm -hmm. that I I think part of it is that it's it's you know this idea of like making your days Mm -hmm. and fitting everything in but that also comes down to budget. So mm-hmm. how can you create a schedule that allows for that? And also a schedule of preparedness. Because if a director or, you know, just a whole film crew comes in and there's a lot of time spent on things that could have been spent in pre-production, mm-hmm. then that just adds to these hours of the day that, like, people aren't actually in production doing the, the work. Yeah. Um, so it's kind of like how can you just reframe well yeah and i think you're touching on an important point that she also speaks about where the producers were kind of on board from this in the beginning she Mm -hmm. said that she had talked about it a lot and most everyone was cool with it um and i think that speaks a lot to again like the people that are in power that have that have to keep reminding and keep setting that from the top because it doesn't come from the bottom like yeah you know the crew yeah. can't change it but and checking in with people that's yeah that too. you know because yeah i think you're totally right for this to work for french hours to work everybody has to agree because mm-hmm, mm-hmm. if somebody's like wait i want my hour lunch break then right. it's gonna be a little it's gonna be awkward yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah cool well i'm excited to see like how how this might change the industry maybe maybe well maybe this is a one-time thing who knows mm-hmm. but i think it's an interesting model um, for films to work and for film sets to work. Like she had also mentioned that she had shot "Can You Ever Forgive Me" in New York, and mm-hmm. she lives in New York and had never like didn't see her child throughout that entire mm-hmm. shoot. And it's just like, wow, there has to be a better way, right? Yeah. It sounded like in the interview she was pretty fired up about this, mm-hmm. and I think she mentioned wanting to talk to the unions mm-hmm. and. I don't think she's going to drop it, at least. Mm -hmm. So hopefully she'll be able to keep going with this and and get more people on board. And obviously there's a lot of women in the industry who are parents and, well, they're people who are are parents, right, and um, would get on board with this, right? So 
if you can get that momentum going and it makes sense in terms of getting the work done, yeah, hopefully there there can be a broader change. Yeah. Yeah. I can't help but think that it'd be cool for fathers to see their children too. <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah. Throwing that out there. I mean, <laughs> capping a film shoot at a 10-hour day, like with a hard out at yeah. 10 hours, that sounds pretty great. I love a deadline. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> This week, we chat with Yvonne Huffley, who's co-CEO of Lagerlane Group, as well as an actor, creative investor, philanthropist, and mother to three with her husband and co-founder, Jason Delane Lee. This year, she executive produced The Body Remembers When the World Broke Open, as well as The Infiltrators through Lagerlane Group. Yvonne currently serves as president of the board at Lower Dev Theater Ensemble and is also a board member of Array Alliance, an initiative founded by Ava DuVernay. Enjoy. Thanks so much for joining us, Yvonne. Yes, happy to be here. Well, let's start at the beginning. How'd you find your way into the film industry and become an actress and producer? That pretty much started, you know, you know that's what's so great about arts in school, um, because it started with um, the sound of music <laughs> in like fourth grade, and I was the third nun, the one that hits the really high note, like that's it. So pretty much acting started there, and then... Um, you know, and then through junior high and then when it was time where people were telling you whether asking you, you know, do you want to be a doctor or a lawyer or something like that? Because that means you're successful. Um, I decided at somehow when I went to college that I wanted to do something that I had fun at. And so that's where the kind of acting acting began. I was one of those um, one of those kids in school who would like go play sports play volleyball, run track, and then right after track, I'd go to play rehearsal. And that was how uh, it was just important for me to like be able to do both. But then when I really decided to focus on acting and went away to Chicago and came up through that whole scene, um, I just love the community of, of telling story and not being the same every single day. And, um, But then I realized through becoming an actor that the real, you're really taught to like seek opportunity. And um, at some point I decided I don't want to seek opportunity anymore. I want to create opportunity. And that has been the most freeing to know that when I get up to go to work every day, it's my choice about what I'm going to work on. And so um, that's kind of like been the long journey of realizing uh, and, and then especially in terms of producing, becoming a mom, um, needing to be in control of my time. Whereas if, if I was always seeking opportunity, I'm always on somebody else's dime. Where now I'm in a position that I can say, you know, if it fits with the production or whatever, that I can say, okay, this is when I can work and not work. And this is during the time of the year that I can do it or not. And so, um, so it really all began with education in schools. So it's such a shame when we hear so often that that's being pulled. Um, I don't know if it's, I'm about to go on a little bit of a tangent here. <laughs> I don't know if it's necessarily that um, we have to point the finger you know, to the government in terms of pulling the arts out because that's the money could be found. But what they're pulling out is the cultural conversation that arts should always be a part 
of everyone's education. Um, and that's the most crucial part, I think, more than just the dollar, because the dollars certainly need to be there. But when you say as a culture, this part's not important anymore because we're going to go put money in the military or, you know, in business in, in a way that doesn't give back artistically, like that's the detriment. So but to your question, how did it all start? Fourth grade. <laughs> I love that uh, it's a little meta with like the sound of music because there's that one lyric like let's start at the very beginning a very good place to start let's start at the very beginning <laughs> exactly. a very good place to start yeah. you still got it <laughs> uh, yeah I love that one <laughs> So through our podcast, we've learned that several women, actually a lot of women, have kind of come up through theater, and that's sort of where their background started, and that's how they found their way into film. Um, as you mentioned, you honed your acting skills in Chicago and have continued acting since. How do you think your background in theater has contributed to your producing skills today? I think the way that it contributed the most was that my husband and I decided to start a theater company called Lower Depth Theater Ensemble. Um, and we began it because we were playing, the, as actors, we were doing the game of being in L.A. and and doing everything that they said that you need to do to be successful. Um, but still not finding a space where there were stories that we wanted, really wanted to tell with people that we wanted to tell it with. And so... Um, it really was like through starting our own theater company and going, okay, who are the playwrights we want to work with and who are the artists that we want to work with? Um, and that sense of community, that sense of collaboration, um, that sense of just like sitting around a table just talking about, okay, did you hear about this? Did you hear about that? And why isn't somebody telling a story about this? Um, and being inspired by these other artists that's what really, um, in terms of producing, like leading into film producing was really like the basis of what helped us know, okay, in a town where we love theater and we love film, let's transition it into this other medium and this other art form that, um, has always seemed more elusive to us. Um, so in terms of theater, you know, it's always about, Part of it is, like, the part of theater that I always love the most is the rehearsal process. So when you're producing on the line, like, it's all about improv and what is the best skill that, and what is the best question that's going to help us move forward in this. And um, in terms of one thing that producing, acting, and then going into producing has taught me is really understanding the place of the actor. <laughs> Where before, I don't think I quite understood um, the whole picture, right? But, but now, since I understand from, uh, you know, in the film space and the theater space, what it takes to have an idea, commission the piece, get the money, get the space, get the designers, get the whole team together, then you invite the actors in, and that's the stage that the actor comes in. So... There are two valuable things about that. One is know that you're contributing to an idea that started way before you got there. <laughs> These people have been working with this idea way longer than you. So have respect for that. Um, so do your own work. And the other is to know your value in the room, knowing that these people have been working on this long before you and they're looking for somebody to bring value and 
add and and take away their fear of failure. <laughs> it doesn't really work if you walk in fearing and be feeling you're going to fail. And then they are also fearing you're going to fail. And then they, do you know what I mean? Like you could still have it, but walk in knowing that you bring value just like they bring value. So I would say just in the relationship from acting to them moving into producing and understanding the entire process, um, it's very power- empowering. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's wow. fascinating. Yeah. Yeah, we're both, uh, we both come from a theater background and we have this like bi-monthly play reading series. Oh, and cool. it's interesting because like it has taught us so much about gathering the people together and then like talking about story and how the story is really like just hearing about it from all the different perspectives and having that space is really interesting, mm-hmm. which kind of leads us into our next question. <laughs> um, at this point in your career, what draws you to a particular project or story and makes you say yes to working on it? And which ones are you most interested in telling? I really, really enjoy working on projects that are, um, just it for me at this day and time as a mom, as a wife with three kids and all the stuff that's going on in our world today and being, and I really think that art should be responsive to what's happening right now. Those are the kind of projects that I'm mostly interested in. And in some ways it's, it's definitely happening in theater. It's happened in documentary. I'm also looking to like make sure it's happening in, in, uh, you know, in narrative features. Um, but I, I love, writers and directors who have something to say and know what they stand for um, and know how it's connected to what's happening right now. Uh, If I read a play and I can't figure out how it's connected to now um, and the things that I'm seeing, um, then I, it's just more difficult for me to enter into the conversation. Uh, Like for instance, there's a play that my theater company did called Lord, uh, my theater company, Lord Up Theater Ensemble, and we did a play called Burr Cotton two years ago, which was written by Terrence Arvell Chisholm. And um, that particular play was like this magical realism play about three generations of a black family um, dealing with the killing of brown and black kids at the hands of police, and they deal with it in very different ways. Whereas there's the grandfather who's like, you're a black person, you need to know your place in the world and what it is you can actually achieve. This is how it's been. The mother who I played, who is trying to figure out how to protect her son and survive on a daily basis. And then the son who gets to go to a better school than he might have gone to, who's wondering why, why aren't all these, why aren't these people in school awake to what's happening in our world? And they respond all completely differently. And that particular play really allowed a space for audiences to come and feel like they had a safe place to talk about what's happening in their lives, that they saw themselves on stage, that they saw the struggle of the woman, that they saw the struggle of their kid who goes to an all-white school, you know, um, older people who go, yep, either being challenged by the mother or the son and trying. So those are the kinds of things that really excite me. Um, we just finished, we're in post-production on a film called G.O.D., written by Addison Henderson. And what I love about that film is that it's written by a black guy, mostly black people, all different kinds of people in it. Um, It has nothing to say in terms of like speaking to like directly to the black experience, except that the whole story is told 
by people from of color and from a person of color who sees his world in multitudes of color. Um, pondering about like what it is to be and what who are we in this world and basically what happens is there's a you know set in the future where a plague happens and everyone's contemplating who are who are they in the world and this one guy is the giver of death <laughs> and people decide how they want to die because they can no longer live with without having joy but what I loved about that was that it was just like this very simple question but because it was told from a multicultural perspective it all of a sudden has this totally different new meaning because if it had been from a completely white perspective I just don't know if I would have watched that I mean like I know what that I've seen that before many people have had the opportunity to write a film or play about that but that but that it was that it's from from his point of view and in the city of Buffalo where every 90% of the people on the, on the film are from Buffalo, that was just... So little things like that like are very special. I mean, as an actor, of course, you want something that's going to make you just go, oh, I don't have to reach too far to want to tell that story. Uh, so those are kind of... I look for that type of stuff as well. And just a good community of people that you know you want to hang out with for a year, two years, five years, six years... And if there are good relationships within that, um, I, I look for that, too, because I've decided I'm all about the joy. If it's not bringing me joy, I either course correct or I get out. <laughs> what is your favorite part of the production process? In the film process, I like the business side of how a deal comes together. I like finding out, like, who are the other investors. And this is an independent film world, not necessarily studios or anything like that. It's just a very different thing in independent film. So I like the process of how the deal comes together. Um, and, then, and then I love being on set. That part's really fun, too. You know, the 12 hours or whatever it is that you're there. That part's really fun, you know, being on set, joking with everybody on the crew, and then that moment where you have to switch it, where your work has to be so deep that you can turn. Um, I have lots of fun doing that. Running to the next spot. <laughs> the sun's going down, the sun's going down. Get in, get there. Like that type of stuff is really fun. Um, and then I guess the second part of the film process that I love is just when the film is over and it gets to go to a film festival and then you get to celebrate it with everybody that you hadn't seen in a little while. So, Yeah. <laughs> Um, so we're curious, what do you look for in fellow collaborators and what inspires you to continue working with the same, uh, same people? When we're working with other, with other folks, it's really making sure that, um, that we're all in it for the same reason. You know, I've worked on things where people love the story, um, but their personal career path really is about, is taking them in a different direction, um, that doesn't necessarily have added value to focusing on the story. Um, and I don't fault anybody for that. It just means we're not supposed to be on this path right now together because what you're trying to do with your career, even though you love the story, is not necessarily aligned with how what we're doing creatively. Um, so making sure that we're all on the same on the same page. Yeah, wait, a question for you. How do you suss that out? Like, how do, do you have a direct conversation with them of like, hey, this is why we're doing this project. Are you on the same page? Or uh, do you kind usually of... Usually my joy factor goes down. Okay. <laughs> you can just tell. You can feel it. Oh, yeah. yeah. Like, like knowing, like knowing enough that, that this is, um, well, it's all about trust. So 
in collaboration, you need that like automatic trust and you need it on, at least for me, I need it on many different levels. Like I need to know that we can have dinner and my kids can play with your kids or, or you can play with my kids or, or we're going to be in fellowship outside of, um, of the process. And, um, I feel like in independent film, that's something you can really do. And I feel like in theater, it's something you can do when I'm hitting my head up against a wall and it feels like, and I, and I know that I'm the type of person that can try to fit, you know, a circle into a square. I'm like, ah, I'm doing that thing again where I'm trying to make it work. But the universe is telling me that's not how it feels when things are, we're grooving. And so I try to be like intuitive about that and then ask a couple of questions and then go, yeah, this is not right at this point. It's not going to work out and, and do it with respect right? Because everybody has a story they want to tell. There's no need to cloud the space with things that really you're, I'm supposed to be doing something else and you're supposed to be doing something else because then we will be our best selves. And I just kind of put it in a, that's, so that's kind of how I make the, um, the distinction. Uh, and if it's meant to come back together, it's meant to come back together. I mean, that's the part that's really great about producing and being, the person who's in charge, you know, is that if I was an actor, I might not know how to step out because I need that opportunity. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Um, and I might, they might think, I would rather have an actor come up to me and say, I'm so wrong about what I thought I could bring to this role, hopefully in enough time, um, rather than spend 21 days with you trying to pull something out of you that you're constantly saying no I can't do it um so that's kind of how I yeah I figure love that. that part out <laughs> yeah it's so interesting because I feel like it is having that awareness both on yourself and then also encouraging that awareness in others and then the courage to act upon that awareness yeah like yeah that. um I mean even in like the consistent collaboration that we have it's also about how do you bring in new people yeah. because I mean, I think that's basically what's happened in Hollywood is we all do get so comfortable and you do need that certain level of trust. So having the skills of how to create trust and what is that process of doing it? I mean, that's something that I'm still working on. Um, when, when someone is saying, I vouch for this person, I'd like to bring them in. Um, how do I, how do I gauge that level of trust and create it? That that's still something that because every person is different. Um, but, um, but in the end, they just have to have something to say that's bigger than who they are. If they're just about their career, it kind of ruins the whole thing because it's a very one-minded way of going. But if you have something to say about the world um, that's outside of yourself, it's just much easier to connect. You are the co-CEO and co-founder of the Logger Lane Group, a collection of actors, creative investors, and philanthropists who strive to bring diverse and truthful storytelling to audiences through strategic film financing and content development. Can you tell us what inspired you to start this collective and what you're trying to do with your work? Well, I think it kind of goes back to what I was saying about like um, creating opportunity and, um, well, one day, uh, we had our, we have three kids. And so with our second kid, we lived in studio city and we were driving to Santa Monica to go on a commercial audition. 
And um, with my second child, I never really went outside of the neighborhood because within five minutes I knew that she would start crying because she didn't want to be in her car seat. So we go to this audition from Studio City, Santa Monica. It's a callback. It's for my my husband, uh, Jason Delaney, is also an actor. Um, and, and, you know, and how we've started the company to take together. Um, so we get down there. She's crying all the way there. I get her to calm down. She's still nursing. So thank God I've got boobs and they're working and she's eating. And... Um, so we do the audition. We drive back at five o'clock from Santa Monica back to Studio City. Luckily, we booked the job, which is fantastic. Thank the Lord we booked the job. But I don't like those rules, man. I don't like those rules. Asking parents to drive at five o'clock from. So once we have that experience of knowing that. If we are going to have a family, we have to be in control of our time. Once we realized that, that was kind of really the seeds of like, okay, so what else are we going to do? Because we're not done telling story. We just can't play the game the way everyone's asking us to, the way we were taught to for the past, whatever, since college. And so that was when we started thinking about, okay, let's, let's put our money where our mouth is and start coming up with what we want to talk about. And um, that's really how it all started, was also creating a legacy for our kids uh, of storytellers. Um, because you can see just by example, like looking at all of these families in Hollywood or any industry where it starts with one family and it just goes to the next, to the next, to the next. And I thought, okay, I don't know where that's going to start if it doesn't start with us. So that's kind of how it all came together. Yeah. Yeah. I love that idea of legacy. How do you think becoming a mother has influenced your creativity? You are in the active state of creation with doing nothing. And we all have that power, right? Like when you're in that space and you're my whole existence is in a space of creation. Like every job that I got that I've, I've, I've worked every pregnancy and I've, and in that state of creation, things were coming to me. Things were coming to us because babies don't come into the world without bringing gifts, right? It's not just that, oh my God, they're going to take my time. They're going to take my money. They're going to take, no, they come with gifts. You just have to be able to receive them. And so, um, my kids brought jobs, they brought wealth, they brought creativity. <laughs> um, but, you know, when you're tired and you're hungry, sometimes you can't always see that. But, you know, in retrospect, now that they're 10, 7, and 3, you know, I can really see, like, what gifts they brought with us, what brought with them. Um, um, I thought before kids I didn't have any time. What the hell was I thinking? I had all the time in the world. I just had horrible time management. <laughs> So they taught me how to, how to time management, how to, how to, um, how to multitask in a way that I didn't even know I could possibly do, how to, how to slow down and focus just on one thing, how to, um, how to take the little phrases they say, make sure I write it down and say, I'm not necessarily a writer, uh, maybe one day I'll be a director, but just to say, you got to write, you got to put this in whatever. This is what my kid said to me today, you know? So, um, 
it's beautiful. I love it when I see images on social media, wherever I see it. And there's, you know, a pregnant woman with a camera on her. She's a DP. She's like this way pregnant. She's not only holding the baby, but she's also got a whole thing on. Like, I love all that stuff. I think it's when I was watching, I was watching, um, my, our kids, we were watching, uh, the women's world cup and one of the women, it was halftime. And so they were doing, they had, I guess in Paris, they were interviewing all these people who had said something to say about how the soccer was going, soccer game was going. And, um, one of the women was pregnant and I just thought that was so beautiful that I don't normally get to see in sports women commentators who are pregnant talking about the sport like that's just not something that you normally get to see and I thought that that was that that was beautiful um so I really want to be able to help my kids redefine by doing what it looks like to be working in any field and being a mom at the same time and that there's no sacrifice there's just um negotiating time managing slowing down doing one thing at a time and requesting from whoever you're working with without saying you're sacrificing without feeling any kind of shame or that you're less than some guy who you think doesn't have to have those same responsibilities Um, because I think men are shifting in that world too men are shifting in the world of like wanting to spend more time with their kids and wanting to be available Um, so yeah, being a mom is in conjunction with my husband. Great. Well, as creative collaborators ourselves, we're always curious about other creative teams. And uh, your husband is one of your main creative collaborators. He's also co-CEO of Lager uh, Lame. What is the most important thing you've learned through creating, collaborating together on this initiative? And I guess your lives together. Well, we have to be good listeners, which we're not always good listeners. <laughs> It's actually something you have to work at. It's not a skill that just you have it and then, you know, and then it stays like you. It's something that we actively work on. Um, What's great because what we do is through we family is just it's first for us. It's very grounding. You know, it's really kind of like a it's a it's it's a truth teller for us. So when we work through that, like if we feel like we're losing that grip on connecting with family, then, then we just slow down. Um, cause we've experienced what it's like to keep going. And then, you know, that's when, as people who live in the same house, who are collaborators in business and in family, like when we start, when tones start getting a little bit louder <laughs> and, uh, we're unable to see eye to eye. That's when we kind of slow down. Um, but we've also learned as being collaborators that he, I need my space, he needs his space, and then, and then we come together, and that just makes the collaboration that much more rich. Um, we're working on, right now, um, for Logger Lane Group, we're working on a film called Lifeline, and it's, it, it's basically a film um, that is somewhat based on Jason's life. My husband is, um, is, uh, black and German adopted by white family in the seventies. And so we're writing a film about what that experience means, uh, for him and, you know, in terms of identity and place in life and, and 
one of the characters is based on him and one of the characters is based on me. And so to be able to collaborate in that way that is like super very personal and we go on a very reflective journey together to talk about like, well, what do we really want to say? So there's a whole process of processing, you know, what was our experience together and what was our effect on each other? Um, and how do we put that on the page? Um, so that part is really fun. I will say like when we act together, cause we did a play, the first time we acted together was in a play called, um, knock me a kiss, which was done, um, at the Goodman theater in Chicago, uh, directed by, uh, Chuck Smith, written by Charles Smith. And, uh, I play, uh, W.E.B. Du Bois's daughter, Yolande Du Bois, and he plays County Cullen, uh, the poet. And, that was really fun working together in that kind of capacity. Um, he cannot direct me and I cannot really, I, he cannot direct me, but I can direct him. <laughs> I, we, we tried to do a thing together where I was kind of directing. We have completely different styles, right? Like his style is he wants to get the words and know what he's doing. And I like to just play the entire time. And so when it comes to that, that kind of stuff, that that's fun. But I love in terms of collaborating, like I love debating like why we were going to why would we go with this film project versus that film project? What are those qualities? What are those questions? What about the team? Um, why is it important to you? Like that type of stuff to be able to do with your husband and friend and best friend, like that's fun. It's really fun. I mean, you know, unless like he said the wrong thing <laughs> and then, you know. <laughs> But, uh, so I guess that's in a nutshell, that's kind of how it, how it works. But, um, but it's definitely a freer conversation. So we end every interview with our rapid response segment, three, two, one action. So we start with three, your favorite or most influential film. The Wiz. Two, dream person you want to work with. Like on set, I would, of course, I don't know who doesn't say this. Who doesn't say <laughs> Ava DuVernay? Oh, yeah. Um, <laughs> I felt it coming. Yeah. And, yeah. <laughs> um, you know, I'm just trying to think of actors. Like, I love Chuatel Ejiofor. I think yeah. he's amazing. Of course, my husband as well, but I'm just thinking, <laughs> I'm thinking you know. Um, that, that was unset. We, yeah. we felt it. We knew it. Jason. I think he's Shout amazing. out to Jason. Um, anyone that is just so beautiful in Black Hollywood right now. Like, come on, if there's a Black Panther too, just let me, just let me do, <laughs> I want to be a warrior too. <laughs> Anybody that has anything to do with that, I would want to be a part of, for sure. <laughs> One, best advice you've ever received? Don't follow your dreams, chase them. Action, what are you most looking forward to right now? Hmm. I'm going to the Philippines this summer. Ooh. My uh, my cousin is getting married there, and it'll be the first time that my kids will have ever gone to the Philippines. I'm black and Filipino, and uh, so it's my cousin who's getting married. Um, she was the age of my oldest daughter when I met her. <laughs> oh my gosh! So that's going to be really fun so to take our kids out of the country and take them somewhere. Um, that they'd never been before and experience it again with them. So I'm looking forward to that. And um, maybe I'll have a glass of wine tonight. That <laughs> Amazing. <laughs> and where can people follow you on social media or your websites? Or I, You can follow me on my actor website, YvonneHuffley.com, uh, Twitter at Yvonne Huffley. 
Instagram at Yvonne Huffley. Uh, you can follow our company, uh, Logger Lane at Logger Lane G. So <laughs> amazing. Yeah. Awesome. Thanks so much for chatting with us. Thank you. It was fun, you guys. <laughs> You can find us at afemalelens.com and at afemalelens on Instagram and Twitter. You can email us at afemalelens at gmail.com. And you can download the show anywhere you listen to podcasts and on Apple Podcasts, where we'd love it if you left us a review. Our theme song was composed by Jesse Nelson. Our logos were created by Megan Cafferty. Elise Welch is our associate producer. And A Female Lens was created by Jennifer Zollett and Larkin Bell. 